Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning into the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you. And now, let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week. To recap, last week we were on the parable of the lost coin and lost sheep, which is pretty much the introduction to this wonderful parable that we are about to listen to. The parable of the prodigal son. One of, if not the most beloved of all parables in the Bible that Jesus taught. And the most extensive This is a wonderful parable about forgiveness, grace, mercy, repentance. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is what it says. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now, The older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he had received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to him, to his father, Look, 
For so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. Well, that is certainly a lot to take in. So let's go ahead, verse by verse, and let's go ahead and start unpacking this pieces of Scripture here. So, verse 12, you have a tale of two sons here. The younger one wants his, his share of the estate. And what he's asking for really is a third of the estate because the older brother gets the majority. So he gets two thirds of the estate and the younger gets a third. So he wants a third of the estate. And the problem with that is inheritances were not given to the heirs unless the father was not alive anymore. So by requesting this, first off was a major shock. And it brought dishonor to himself and to his father. And what he was basically saying here is, and it's really sad, is that he's wishing his father were dead. And what's amazing, though, the father, full of grace, compassion, and love, his father agrees. A few days pass. Son gets his belongings together prepares for this journey, and sets off. And in that culture, when something like that happens, they would usually have a funeral for the son. So he is now basically considered dead to them. So he went off. And what a son this is, right? I mean, so ungrateful, selfish, caring about himself, his wants, his desires. He wants to be in charge of his own life and live however he wants to live. We look at that, and on the surface, we think it's not that big of a deal, but in reality, it is. Because this son brought dishonor and shame to the family. And in that culture, in that time period, if that son would have asked the father that ridiculous request, the father would have slapped him silly. But that's not what this father did. No. He graciously agreed. So in verse 13, the son gathered his things and went on a journey to a distant country, and there he began to squander his estate with loose living. Now, in verse 30, we have a little bit of a clue as to what he spent his money on. I should say, wasted his money on, squandered it. And he squandered it with prostitutes. And you know, when you have a lot of money, everybody's your friend. People want to be around you, they want to be near you. You're the life of the party. And I don't 
think he was just doing that. I think he was parting it up. He was getting drunk. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know what happens with those type of things. But that's what he was doing. And then something starts to happen in verse 14. Now, we had spent everything. So now he's broke. A severe famine occurred in that country. Boy. Tough times just got tougher. So it says at the end of verse 14, he began to be impoverished. So when he had hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, he sent him out to the field to feed the swine. So this young man, he is now in a situation where he's broke. He doesn't have things to eat really anything to eat, especially in a famine. And now, what is happening? He's broke. He's poor. And he's starving. So he hires himself out. They're not going to give him anything. But the, that citizen said, all right, you can go feed the swine. You can feed the pigs. The Jewish boys didn't do that. And pigs were considered the absolute most unclean animal. And I want you to hear verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was given anything to him. He had truly hit rock bottom. All of his friends disappeared on him. The loose living resulted in what? Desolation. Being impoverished. And not only that, it led to him being broken. He's completely broken here. Something starts to happen, though. Something starts to happen in verse 17. But when he came to his senses, see, again, this is why you have to slow down when you read. What does that mean? So the crowds left him. He's bankrupt. He's starving. The sensual living that he was deep in left him empty. And you know what he did? He remembered his father. He remembered him how compassionate he was and remembered how gracious he was and that he treated people well. Because what does he say in verse 17? How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? The grass is not greener on the other side, is it? I don't think so. So, he comes up with a plan in verse 18, practicing a speech. And he wasn't coming up with it to try to be sneaky and sly, to try to get on his dad's good side. No, this was complete godly sorrow repentance he had here. He is now penitent, he's repentant, and he went back home to ask for forgiveness. 
He truly felt unworthy to be his son. And by what he was planning to say, showed how deep he thought of it. He thought about this long and hard. And, you know, when you're in the middle of loose living and drunkenness and other types of sinful living, your mind is focused on those things. But once those things go away and you start doing some self-examination, this young man had a lot to think about. And he realized what he, well, definitely what he'd done. He realized what he did and what it cost. So, something truly astounding is about to occur. On his way back home, we don't know how long the journey was, but it was probably days and days and days. He practiced the speech over and over again. In verse 20, listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. I have to tell you something here. Middle Eastern men do not run. They do not run. It brings shame. And what does his father do? He ran to him. But here's something else, though. See, we read that, and we don't want to be surface-level people right here, right? We want to go deeper. Listen to this. The father saw him while he was a long way off. What does that mean? He had been looking for him. And I'm going to assume because of how much love this father has for his son, even though he's lost, he was looking for him every single day. And something amazing happened. He was sprinting as fast as he could to his son. And what does the son do? He starts going through his speech. In verse 21, he's going through his speech. But what happens? The father cuts him off. He couldn't finish the rest of it. The son didn't finish his rehearsed speech. And this is symbolic of how eager God is to forgive us. And what's amazing is he never brought up any of his past sins, the dishonor and shame that he brought to his family, to himself. No. You know what his father did? His father embraced him and kissed him. He put the best robe he had on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. They're going to kill the fatted calf, kill it, and celebrate. Because the son of his that was dead has come to life. That's what his father did. The sins had been forgiven. And what's important about this, and the heart of all this right here, is the father at that moment when he embraced his son and kissed him, he poured all of his love into his son. All of it. Now, we reach the point here 
with the older brother. The older brother heard what was going on. He heard music and dancing. Went to go see what was going on. In verse 28, after he found out from one of the servants that his brother was back safe and sound, and they were celebrating because of that, he became what? Angry. And was not willing to go in which is symbolic of the Pharisees. They were angry because Jesus received sinners. Now, the oldest son is self-righteous and delusional and unmerciful. He obviously didn't have a relationship with the father and constantly pointed to his brother's faults without recognizing his own sin. For example, if you look in verse 29 when he addressed his father by saying, Look! Like, hey, pal, I'm talking to you. You don't address your father that way. That's completely disrespectful. And what did the Pharisees do with Jesus? They disrespected him at every possible chance they can get. They even said that he got his power from Satan. So who is the holiest of holies? They are saying is satanic. Not sure if you can get any more disrespectful than that. But as we are moving forward here, he points to the errors of his brother. But because he wasn't a part of the celebration, he had no relationship with the father. They were estranged. And you could be in the same house as family members and still be miles apart. But look at verse 31, though. After being disrespected by his older son now, he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. So, here are some takeaways that we can get from this story. Five takeaways. Number one. The prodigal son are sinners who repent and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, the father in the story is God the Father, or could be the son Jesus Christ. Number three, the older brother. They are symbolic of the Pharisees. Number four, we get a beautiful picture of God in Jesus. When we repent turn from our ways, we put our total trust and faith in Christ, there is a massive celebration and rejoicing that goes on in heaven. And he hugs us, he embraces us, and he kisses us. Because some people have this misconception that God is just some mean old man with a white beard looking to smash us when we step out of line. And it's full of wrath, anger, and hostility. And you know, those things, some of those things are true. 
He abhors the wicked. He despises sin. And if it's not repented of, will be shown wrath to those who do not accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is true. But this image here shows you just how eager he is to embrace you and forgive you. And number five, God is full of grace, compassion, and love, and he waits in eagerness for us to come to our senses to repent and be embraced in his graceful, compassionate, loving, fatherly arms. He's waiting. And I said last week that I believe God gives us multiple opportunities to choose his son. He draws us multiple times. He gives us so many chances. And more often than not, we reject it. But when we come to our senses and realize that this life has nothing to offer us that will satisfy us and make us whole, we repent, we turn to God with godly sorrow, and we put our total trust and faith in Christ. He embraces us. He kisses us. And you know what's interesting? And I'll leave you with this, is that when his father put his robe on him, his ring on him, and sandals on his feet, that is symbolic of God sending his son down to this earth, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. And when we have our trust and faith in him, we are given Christ's righteousness. We take off our old self and we put on Christ so that we are conformed to his image. What a wonderful, gracious, loving, forgiving, powerful God we serve. And he's eagerly waiting for you to answer the call. I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.